Well, friends, if we haven't met, my name is Adam, and it's my joy to be one of the pastors here. And I don't know if you've kind of had the same struggle in life I do, and that's failing to appreciate things you grow accustomed to. Like, when's the last time you really thought to yourself, man, I'm so grateful for air conditioning. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah we got a few. Or, or just when, you're, when your feet hit the ground in the morning. When have we truly thought, man, what a great thing to be able to wake up and have another day. So I invite you to join me just to take a few seconds and to try and be grateful for the blessings you've already experienced today by 11.10 in the morning uh, and not just get too accustomed to them. Now, I have written down in my notes, pause 15 seconds. And for an, for an extrovert, that's an eternity. So I'm not sure if I made it that long. But I wonder what, what types of things you thought of. Because I neglect sometimes appreciating things I've grown accustomed to. And one of the things I've grown accustomed to uh, and, and want to be very thankful for is to be a part of this church. I'm so proud to be associated with you all. And, and we just need to not get accustomed to it, but truly appreciate that God is moving in our church. We've celebrated a lot of baptisms recently. People are experiencing Jesus through the ministries of this church. This community of unlikely friends is a growing church. And I'm going to talk about that in a little bit, what it means for us to be in a phase of growth. So I want to keep appreciating these things and not just get accustomed to them. Today on Father's Day, we also appreciate the father figures in our lives. On Father's Day today, we're going to look at a Hall of Fame Bible story depicting God as a loving father. Now on Father's Day, it can also be complicated for a lot of reasons. And I just wanted to acknowledge that. You know, I, I, I don't want to operate in such a way that, you know, we acknowledge that Things can be hard on Father's Day and at the same time, like, make anybody feel guilty for celebrating Father's Day. But I want to just hold that both things can be true. And so we're celebrating today. We're going to have hot dogs and root beer in the lobby uh, for you afterwards if you'd like to celebrate with that. Especially now that it's around lunchtime. We had some 8 o'clockers still take the hot dogs and I wrote their names down and love them even more. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like I said, Father's Day can be complicated. And if that's you today, I just wanted someone to tell you that you're in good company. As someone who's lost a father myself, as many of you have, we know well that we need to appreciate the folks we love in our lives while we can. And I know as a pastor that we have people in our church that have buried their children, or people that are estranged from their father, or people that are estranged from their child. So just want to acknowledge all that. And wherever we find ourselves today, my goal is for us to leave here today appreciating God as our loving, generous parent. And along with the realization that we have the capacity and the responsibility to love and embrace the next generation, just like the father we're going to read about in Luke 15. So what I hope we'll discover together as we study God's word today is that children need a secure base of truth to launch 
in a safe haven of grace to land. Now, before we get into the story of the prodigal son, let's first recall that the, the first chapter of John tells us that Jesus came full of grace and truth. Jesus came to embody and show us the grace and truth of God in a way that we can understand. And it's our job to speak and model that same grace and truth for the next generation. And so I wanted to start off with how some of these examples of grace and truth were modeled for me growing up. And I couldn't help but reflect on some memories with my dad as I prepared for this message on Father's Day. Now I'm going to date myself here because one of my, I don't know if favorite's the right word, certainly a memory that sticks out to me is when I was in elementary school, my dad and I went to Famous Bar. Anybody remember Famous Bar? They had all these departments, right? So we're at the cosmetics department, and I think we were getting some perfume from my mom or something. And just nobody's giving us the time of day. Can't get anybody to help us. No, no blips on the radar. And so my dad gets out his wallet. He pulls out his credit card, starts waving it over his head, and yells in the store, Hey, I've got money! I've got money! <laughs> and, and in third grade, I didn't have the good sense to be morbidly embarrassed. I thought it was amazing. And so I don't know if I can say this word in church, but that was a day I learned uh, not to take any crap from anyone. And I learned you can be rude if it's funny. And so my dad had a particular way of stating truth and uh, of calling the truth to light. And I experienced that many times growing up. Uh, and I also thought about other folks who have, in addition to my parents, modeled grace for me uh, growing up. I had a young life leader in high school named James Green. And he would take us out to lunch during school and he would encourage us. He invested in me. His positivity and presence in my life affected me significantly. I also got to travel around when I was in high school with the conference youth director. So all the Methodist churches in Missouri, uh, we had a staff person who would create mission trips for the whole state. Her name is Bev Bomer. And she showed me what servant leadership truly is. These are just two people in a long list that showed me what God's grace is. It's amazing the memories and the lessons people who invested in us leave behind. Another memory I have from my dad growing up is we joked about when his life insurance coverage peaked so that if I were to have him whacked for the cash, this would be the opportune time because from there it was only going to decrease, right? And if you think that's a, a bit of a crass thing for a parent and child to joke about, that's exactly how our story starts off today in Luke 15, chapter 11. Imagine your child coming downstairs and saying to you as a parent, they don't, they're not really interested in waiting around for you to die before they get their inheritance. That's where we're going to start in verse 11 of Luke 15. Here's how our story starts. To illustrate his point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So the younger son is wanting to cut ties from the family, get his inheritance, and, and he's asking for the father to finance it. Even more shocking is that the father actually cuts the check. He, he lets him have it. I think the most terrifying thing as a parent 
is we ultimately can't control our children or make their choices for them. Terrifying. Part of what we need to provide as parents and as a church community is a secure base for children and students for them to launch from. We can't control our kids or keep them tethered to the nest forever as much as we may want to. We have to have the confidence in them that they will launch successfully. This is a picture of my son on his first day of kindergarten a few years ago. This is what I wrote. It's truly a unique feeling to mark the occasion of our influence waning and for the influence of others to grow as you step on that bus. But it would be selfish of Sarah and I to keep you all to ourselves. You're ready. Go get them, buddy. We have to launch them off as much as we may not want to. The father lets the son go off and make his own choices. Sometimes it turns out well, other times it doesn't. In Luke 15, it tells us that uh, the younger son takes off for what Jesus describes as far off country. I would compare that to like the first century version of Las Vegas, right? Just wild living, it says. So the kid parties hard, blows all his money, finds himself with no food, no friends. He's hit rock bottom. These are hard times. So we'll pick up the story with verses 17 through 19. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. I think one of the operative words here is home. There was something the father instilled in his son that, that meant more than money, lasted longer than partying, and remained when almost nothing else was left. This is the secure base of truth. Another translation of, of the verses we just read said that when the son came to himself, when he came to himself, when he remembered the truth that he was a beloved child of God and a beloved son of the father, it never left him even when he was in far off country. And because of this, he knew he could return home. He knew he had a safe haven he could go back to. And so the repentant son has come to his senses, and he's even got a speech ready. You ever had a scenario where you knew you were going to get in trouble and you had the, the speech rehearsed? That's where he's at. So let's see how the father reacts and what might be my single favorite verse in the Bible, Luke 15, 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now here's that H word again, home. Now what's it say about the father that he saw his son from a long way off? He never gave up on him. He kept his eye on the horizon. So if you find yourself in that spot today, don't give up. He was watching for his son. The son knew he could return home because he had been given a foundation of grace and truth. As a church, that's what we need to provide to the next generation. And we need to do this in ways that are probably going to stretch our comfort or our preferences. The father ran to his son. I don't know if you've ever 
been in a church play or you've been to Silver Dollar City or Branson and seen some of the reenactments from the first century, you know, they had all these robes on. Imagine this dignified, wealthy, because of the context of the story, this dignified, wealthy person just making a sprint, robe blowing in the wind. What a picture. Dignified men in the first century didn't run anywhere. But none of that mattered to the father in this moment. What mattered more than his dignity was the radical grace he wanted to display to his wayward child. Now, practicing love, I don't think, means there's no consequences ever or that there's no limits or boundaries. But when the next generation knows that we love them unconditionally, we are demonstrating the love of God that Jesus was trying to illustrate with this timeless story. The son knew the truth that his father had instilled in him. But he underestimated the grace he would receive. He had his speech already, and the father doesn't even let him get it all the way out. We'll continue in verses 21 through 24. His son said to him, so here he goes with the spiel, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals on his feet. And kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast, for the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Father doesn't even let the son finish the big speech. All the son wanted was a part-time job. And the father's response was to throw a party. I don't know if you've heard this story a bunch of times. Maybe it's new to you. But especially if you're like me and have, and have been through Luke 15 many times, let's not grow accustomed to this good news. That the son thought he would receive punishment and what he got from the father was a party. In this story, we see the character of God. That of a loving father full of grace and truth. The son had a secure base of truth to launch from And then when that didn't go great, he had a safe haven of grace to return to. I first picked up this language of a secure base and a safe haven from a counselor that my family saw. You know, parenting is no joke. Amen? Amen? Amen. Parenting is no joke. And we all need some help and some tools from time to time. And so one of the things our counselor was talking about was attachment theory. Now, I was a psych major for like 10 minutes in college, so I'm not an expert in this stuff. I'm not trying to, you know, you can read more about it than sources other than me, but I found these concepts so compelling that children need a secure base and a safe haven. A secure base means stability, emotional and physical availability. You you can't offer a secure base if you're not around. And it builds permission for the child to Go and explore the world apart from you. Now, I do want to add a word for us fathers specifically. You know, I understand not everybody uh, is, is people are, have different levels of emotional expression. Not everybody cries eight times while watching Forrest Gump. Okay? I get that. I do. But I just want to say to my fellow dads, We need to tell our children we love them every day. Make sure they get the message that daddy loves them. Now, if your kids live out of the house, 
let's say, once a week deal? They need to know. Now, in addition to all the, the psychological things that are important for a secure base, as, as Christians, we offer our children a secure base of truth, that they are a child of God, of infinite worth, that there is a right and a wrong, and we speak and model the things of God for our kids. And then when they need to return, especially in the case of the prodigal son, but in other ways, we offer a safe haven. Maybe not physically, but we offer reassurance, comfort, protection. And so for Father's Day, I got you all a gift. A chart! Here it is. And I just, I, I have always loved the prodigal son story. I would, uh, I'd preach on it every week if you let me. I checked, and the last time we used this text was in July of 2019. So I made it four years almost. So that's pretty good. And uh, I just love the story so much. And I love the concepts that we see as a parent. Because I'm looking for, how to, there's no manual for this. But I think we see these things in this story. The father has instilled enough truth in the child to let them go off to faraway country. Trusting that he'll come to his senses. That's a secure base to launch and then what happens when he does? He puts a ring on his finger, a ring that would have likely contained the family crest, a ring that symbolized sonship and belonging to the family, a ring that indicates you are my child and nothing changes that. And because of the father, the son knew he could return home. He even set his expectations too low. All he was looking for was a job. And how was he received? His father sprinting to meet him so the party could start. What if our church can be that for the next generation? A place where parents can partner with the church so the kids and students can experience a secure base of truth and a safe haven of grace. When a child's baptized in our congregation, we say these words. I'll just read them. With God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround this child with a community of love and forgiveness. We will pray for them that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. Ain't it fun that we've had to have those words up on the screen several times in the past couple weeks? It's vital that we surround the next generation with love and forgiveness so they can walk in the way that leads to life. Research shows that 64% of decisions to follow Jesus are made before age 18. That's from the Barna Group. And then after graduation, the students most likely to continue to walk in the way that leads to life are the ones who are connected intergenerationally to five caring adults in the church they know personally. That's from a book called Sticky Faith by the Fuller Youth Institute. That's what their whole deal is built around. How do we make faith stick after high school? And so if we want to surround kids and students with a community of love and forgiveness, it's going to take a whole bunch of us. And I'll say one more thing for the fellas. It's going to take a whole bunch of us, including the dudes. This is Children's ministry isn't just for women. So I mentioned at the beginning of the service, of the sermon, that... You know, we, we need to not just get accustomed to God bringing folks to our church and that we're going to need to make some room 
on August 20th, uh, we need to launch a fourth worship service. I don't know if you've noticed, you see the gray chairs kind of stacked around here. For this service, like when you're coming in around 9.30, are you ever like, ooh, kind of busy in the parking lot a little bit, or maybe it's a little tough to get through the lobby. I don't know if you've noticed, we've had the chairs like 20 different configurations to try and squeeze all of them we can in here. Friends, are these not good problems to have? Right? Yes. Let's not, let's not just get accustomed to it. Let's appreciate it. Now, I don't have some massive plan to roll out for you today. Throughout the summer, we'll offer some times for you to come and give feedback. Uh, we'll offer some, some uh, chances for you to, to, to understand and weigh in on, on our plan of, of action here. But right now we have two traditional services. And by the way, if you took everybody from 815 and put them in here, we'd be in the same boat. The other thing that's fascinating about our church is it's about half and half. So we're, we need a second modern service because we just, we just don't have enough room. And what that's going to necessitate then, if we add another hour of worship, is we have to add another hour of children's ministry. Right, imagine you get up the guts to come to church, you get the kids all ready. Some of us haven't done that in a little while. Some of us did that today, amen? And, and then you get here and it's like, oh, sorry. Uh, here's some crayons, good luck. Is that the kind, is that the kind of welcome we want to have at our church? If we want to make room for folks, then we need to do it. We need to really do it. Here's what I know. Our unlikely community of friends is growing all the time. So like I said, in order to make room for the next generation, we're going to have to really do that. And we're going to need more leaders with kids Sunday morning and with students Sunday night. Now, I'm passionate about this subject, not just because I was a uh, youth minister for 13 years, not just because I have kids who are six and nine. I'm passionate about this subject because it is not an exaggeration to say, I do not know who I would be or what I would be doing without people who surrounded me with the community of love and forgiveness and poured into my life when I was a student. I can name them for you. My old youth directors, Glenn Chang, Karen Fields, Chris and Diane Meyer-Peter. And then as I, as I got a little bit older in high school, James Green, John Draghi, my campus pastor in college. I could, I could keep going. Beverly Bomer, I talked about her. I don't know who I would be without these folks. Can name them all these years later, too many years later. As a leader of students, the potential impact you can have on the student is infinite. We need to surround our students with adults beyond their parents to give them a secure base of truth. There's this phenomenon that happens, and I'm experiencing this now, where, like, I'll tell my kid this is something 40 times, and once they hear it from someone else, it clicks, right? You ever, you ever notice that? That's the role we can play in the lives of students in our church. They need to know they're not defined by how many followers they have on social media or what brand of clothes they wear or how new their phone is. They need to know the truth that they are of infinite worth as a child of God. And it's our job to help build them up in a dark world and give them the confidence to launch and to be who God created them to be. And then bandage them up when the world beats them up and they need a safe haven of grace to return to. That when they come to themselves, 
They can remember who they are and whose they are. And we can play a part in that process, a major part. Friends, in order to accommodate our growth and expand our children's ministry, we need 33 new leaders. I would call that ambitious. Now, here's the deal. If any of you have ever had a child in Parks and Rec sports, you'll be familiar with the deluge of emails you get that's like, if we don't have enough volunteers to be coaches, your children will suffer in eternity. <laughs> right? And I'm like, listen, I, I coach for flag football. I've done my part. You don't want me coaching soccer. Okay? So we're not trying to give you the, the guilt press trip, the guilt trip press here. Okay? But if we're really going to do this, then this August, we need to launch with 33 new leaders to help make new space for students. And I, I want to kind of calm some things we hear all the time, you know, some, some concerns people have. One of those is that, well, gosh, I, don't, I, can't, I can't lead kids. I don't, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't really know. Friends, I'm here to reassure you, you don't have to be an expert. What makes you qualified to lead students and kids is that you're willing. That's the first qualification. We can help you with all the information. We just need people who are willing. You know, now we do make you pass a background check, but we don't make you pass the Bible ACT test. Okay? So I'm here to tell you, the first qualification is that you're willing. And if you're sitting here like, well, my time's kind of passed or... Man, I've got little kids myself. Man, we need, all, we need all generations. So part of my message to you is, if you thought you was done, you may not be done. Friends, there's no greater privilege than having influence in the life of a child. What we're looking for are people who are willing to serve once a month, starting in, at the start of school and going to Mother's Day. That's what we're looking for. Because it takes... Five adults that kids are personally connected to in addition to their parents to help make faith stick. We have the opportunity to be those people for the kids in this community of faith. So you can go to carney.church slash kids and you can find a link on there that'll help you to sign up. In addition to that, Nicole today, and this is gonna be throughout the summer, to represent the growth of our ministry. I don't know if you saw it when you came in. We got this little mural. We got this tree. And we're looking to put 40 leaves on that tree of people who have said yes to kids' ministry. We want 40 folks who have said yes. I will help make a place for new kids. I think every generation comes to the point where they think the one below them has lost their way. I actually said to my spouse, my wife, Sarah, just like two weeks ago, I actually said this. I won't name the restaurant. But I went to a place and said, oh, the cashier couldn't even make eye contact with me. What have I become? You know, these, the kids with their texting and their TikTok. Like, it's just like, what happens, man? You just wake up and you're like, oh, these, these kids today, they don't get it. Well, I think that's an easy trope to fall into. To think that Gen Z and Gen Alpha or whatever we're calling the next one, that they're prodigals who are wayward and lost in far off country. 
I think we need to define how we use that word prodigal. Pastor and author and recently departed wonderful theologian, Tim Keller, he points out that the word prodigal means lavish, even wasteful. Now, I don't quote Calvinists very often, so you know this book's got to be good. His book, Prodigal God, is incredible. And he points out that the word prodigal means lavish, uh, careless, especially with wealth. And the story is typically called the prodigal son because the young man goes off and wastes their inheritance. But it's the father who is the true prodigal. Jesus told us this story to illustrate how lavishly generous God is with grace. The story should be called the prodigal father. That when the son comes home expecting punishment, what he gets is a party. That's the good news. That you're not welcome home because of what you have or haven't done for God, but on what God has done for you in the prodigal, lavish, unconditional gift of Jesus' life, teachings, death, and resurrection. That that's a gift none of us deserve and all of us are freely offered. I want to be part of a prodigal generation who will generously lavishly extend unconditional grace to the next generation and show them the way home. Who will demonstrate this prodigal love? Who will join us in giving our children and students a secure base and a safe haven? And everybody said, amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this appointment with you. We think about the folks who have Help get us to where we are today. And we consider the opportunity for us to be those people for another child, another student. God, we thank you for the security we have in knowing that we are your children, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that we are of infinite worth simply because You have created us. God, we live in a world where that message is distorted. Where we try to add other things to make make us feel worthy. Or we try to rank each other based on GPA or ACT or salary or whatever things we come up with. So God, help this church to be a place where children can know and learn the truth and confidently launch from a base that they are yours and they are loved. And God, help us be a place where after they venture off into the world and get a little beat up, maybe because of their own choices or because of other people's choices, they can find grace and a safe haven back in this community that loves them. And I'll take them in and bandage them up and throw them a party. God, impress upon us what you're calling us towards. Help us not to be accustomed to having to set out chairs or circle the parking lot. But help us understand and appreciate that you are in our midst and you are up to something. Help us to have the guts to take a stretch and to give up some of our experience in order to make room 
for others to have that experience. God, help us lead lives, lead lives that are worthy of emulation that we might show kids and students in this community what it means to be your children. God, thank you for this community of faith. Thank you for your many blessings. Help us to follow where you lead. Amen.